again if this is your first time listening to the move swiftly podcast welcome to the show to all of my regular listeners you already know what this is all about we get right to it man and we have nothing but the best i mean just people who have incredible 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 stories and today is no different you guys not too long ago heard from uh, Mr. Eric Reyes, who was the host of the Hey Coach podcast. But what you guys didn't know is after we wrapped that episode, he sent me a book. He sent me a book and we got to talking about just some of his guests and things like that. And the name of the book that he sent me was Getting Undressed from Paralysis to Purpose by Mr. David Cooks. And that is who I have on the show today. How you doing today, David? Coach David, or Coach David Cooks? <laughs> I'm doing great, man. I'm I'm as I'm excited. You got me all juiced up already. We haven't started, man. <laughs> that's how things work, though. That that's incredible how things work. Is like you know, I had started off on Eric's podcast, and then we got to talking after, and I had him on my show, and then after it was like, man, you know, there's this guy that I just interviewed, and he felt compelled to send me that book, and now look at us now. And that's how things work. I mean, teammates, listen, this is we're only like three or two minutes in. These are lessons that you should be taking in. You have got to take action when you want something done. Got to take action. Got to go, man. Yeah, absolutely. And and you never know, um, you know, who your next breakthrough is going to come through. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just don't have an idea. So you do do what you're supposed to do and and follow your instinct and uh, and have some character and integrity along the way, because that'll help you. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Now, I, I recently I was on vacation about two or three weeks ago it was for my birthday, and I decided to actually read your book in entirety on my on my cruise. And, you know, I, I read it and I was like really immersed in it because, it, you know, the, the scenery was great. I was on a cruise and the water and, you know, I really felt like you were on the cruise with me, to be 100% honest with you, man. And I, I want to start this off by you just kind of telling the story of when you found out you got paralyzed because it wasn't it wasn't anything that you expected. You know, it was just it just sort of happened. So, you know, I think it's best to kind of just start off there. Yeah, um, I was uh, 15 years old and um, looking forward to trying out for my high school basketball team a second time and um, had gotten a clean bill of health from my doctor about a week prior to uh, this occurring. And it was a Friday, October 19th of 1979 and woke up with a little back pain uh didn't think much of it you know um it just happens like that sometime and went to school and played some ball and stuff that day but as the day in the evening progressed uh my ability to uh, walk became much more difficult and so uh off to the er room we went and five hours later it was discovered i had a blood vessel that had erupted on my spinal cord uh and had left me a uh, t6 paraplegic and that was 
the beginning of what has been an outstanding life, even though it has been uh, full of challenges. You know, I love that you say that it's been an outstanding life because every time I think of situations like that, I, I kind of always go back to the movie Ray when he found out he was blind and the mother said, don't let anyone turn you into a cripple. You know, and, and I know I've had ACL injuries and I, I've been low, but I've never had to deal with the situation in which I, I had to accept that I was never going to walk again. So mm -hmm. when, like, when did you, like, what, what can you kind of describe your lowest moment? I know you had you mentioned someone that had kind of lifted your spirits. Can you kind of just describe your lowest moment when you realize that this thing is permanent and it's not going away? Going away? Well, you, you know, I think um, one of the, and I don't know if I ever got to that point of mm -hmm. saying it's fully permanent. You know, you're always uh, holding out for hope and believing that things will change. But what I did do was come to understand that the reality in which I was going to live, I was going to have to deal with that, but it didn't have the right to rule my life and change my goals, dreams, and ambitions. And so in spite of the fact that I realized this was going to be a struggle and it's going to take some time and it could be permanent, um, I was going to live as though, um, in my mind, I was free. And, and I was oh. free, free from um, anything that could keep me from being the person I was designed to be. And this was a part of it. And, and if the situation wasn't going to change, I wanted to make sure that I was changed in the situation so that the situation mm. would become better. Mm, mm. Now, you also, you mentioned someone that, that helped guide you, that you actually met in the hospital that helped guide you through the process. I believe the name was Tyler, correct? Can you just kind of speak yeah. on his influence? Yeah, he was he was Tony, uh, Tony Otters. Tony, um, no, that was it, yeah, Tony. That's okay, uh, because Tyler Uglin was who the book was dedicated for. And just yeah, that's what he was. was. He was killed in 9-11. He was on the uh, 93rd floor of one of the towers and a former player. But uh, shout out to him and his family. Uh, but in rehab, I actually um, ran into my roommate. Uh, his name was Tony Otters. And uh, Tony uh, was a quadriplegic. Some I didn't know exactly what that meant um, at the time, because this was all new to me as well. But Tony had uh, suffered from a diving accident and was a quadriplegic with very little use of his hands and stuff. But I tell you what, his outlook on life when I met him was he was so upbeat and and so juiced up about getting back in school and and ultimately wanting to become a doctor. And um, it was then that I began to realize my situation wasn't as bad as I thought. We were uh, on a mat together doing some physical therapy stuff, and there were things that I could do that he could not. And I watched him and I was like, you know what? He would love to be able to do some of the things that I could do. It was at that moment, my perspective was changed. And, and as you know, perspective drives everything in your life, how you perform, how you think, what you believe. And from that moment on, I knew I was going to be okay. And I actually began to work hard in therapy for Tony and not for myself. Mm. And that set me on a path uh, of servant leadership that, you know, um, helped me understand that part of purpose is serving. And, you know, the rest is history, so to speak. Yeah, I, I remember having those feelings. So after my freshman year in college, I had torn my ACL and I was forced to move back home and work at a gym. And there was, I mean, it was very easy for me to just stay there and make my money or make enough money and just kind of just regular life. But I was around so many other athletes who had either, you know, couldn't play because of something or quit or, or just so many different people who wish wished they could have played 
college football. And that drove me to really want to do the kind of work I'm doing now. So, so I, I kind of asked you with those feelings, what, what got you into wanting to do it, be a, a banking? I believe it was like you wanted mm -hmm. to develop into the banking world and things like, how were you able to find what it is you wanted to do once you were able to go, come back home and, you know, start to establish a routine? Yeah. I, I always wanted to be a businessman. I, I wasn't sure exactly um, what that meant. You know, I wanted to be in banking because um, they dressed well and they had a lot of money. And so um, no, that's right. I know I that's think, right. <laughs> I didn't think that was a, a bad combination. Um, and so <laughs> I began, I began to pursue that in, at co in college and through some internships. Um, what I found was as I um, continued to pursue that, I still had this itch for basketball that never went away. And so I had to kind of figure out how was I going to fulfill that itch as I was doing these other things that I had on my plate as well. And uh, ultimately, you know, I had mentors along the way that, you know, helped me understand how to be a, a successful businessman. But also they were like, you know what, you need to uh, do something about this basketball. And I never really knew how to put it into words. I do now is, you know, my legs became paralyzed, but my purpose and my passion did not. I just had to figure out now, how was I going to get back to that and fulfill that as well? And um, uh, the road to banking and ultimately an MBA at Duke really began to solidify that at Duke University when I uh, had a chance to work with the basketball team there. And, and uh, that really changed the uh, trajectory of my basketball career as a coach. But what's, you know, the, the story about how you got linked in with Duke is a great story. But before we get there, I have to ask you, though, what kind of similarity, because before you got there, I, I want to say you started your own travel basketball team, correct? That is correct. Yeah. So what similarities did you see like in the business world and when it comes to trying to start your own basketball team? Because now that that line is very blurred with NLI. That line <laughs> is very blurred with, you know, recruiting and all the all the actually just recently I rewatched the movie Blue Chips. That mm -hmm. line is becoming blurrier and blurrier and blurrier. And I think there's there's kind of a need for for some real concrete curriculum when it comes to this is business, this is basketball, this is recruiting. Because yeah. it's very confusing. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I tell you what, I'm not sure I would do that today. Uh, but back in the day, so to speak, uh, it was it was a it was a lot simpler, a lot cleaner. There weren't as many uh, teams and and the like. And um, I think I think my athletic background actually translated more to the business side of what I do than the business side did to the basketball side. Um, but the it, it was the same concept of teamwork and and leadership because you need that in the corporate world as well. And so I was a part of a team at the bank um, and I had to learn also about, um, you know, my role on that team, how to fulfill that. And also on the accounts that I was in charge of, I was the leader on that. And how do I get other people to work with me? And how do I get um, people to support my vision and our, and our goal as a team to win? And that's really when we started um, our Stanford Express AAU team, I did that because I wanted to help some of the students who didn't even know that there was an opportunity for them at the next level at whatever that right. level was, whether that's one, two or three, um, because they didn't know, they didn't believe. And that's what I love about a coach and about leadership. Sometimes right. they can see you before you can see you. And that's, that's what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to take them to a place they didn't know that they were able to get to. And so, you know, over that period of time, you know, we were able to help like 60 kids go on to play at the next level. And, and many of them didn't even know that when they started. And so that really 
um, is part of part of what translated from my business experience, because I was mentored from filing checks when I was 17 years old, all the way to all the way to commercial lending, um, you know, by the time I was done. And I didn't see all of that when I started, but there were people along the way who did. Yeah, and you also got to work with, I believe it was certain charity events where you met Michael Jordan, you you saw the whole picture to where this game we play, it's a, it's a privilege. I say it all the time, it's a privilege to play this game. It's not a right. And you saw people like at the highest levels in that environment. Like you didn't see this, you didn't necessarily meet Michael Jordan in the you know game six versus the Utah Jazz where he's like <laughs> laser focused. But he's that guy at this point where he's doing charity work. He's making sure that he is giving back to the community and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I, it was, um, I, I didn't know, um, that the game would would take me to the levels that it that it did um and i wasn't in it for that but it just mm -hmm. happened to go it happened to go that way for me and so you know to get an opportunity to um to be close with a number of the milwaukee bucks at that time and and terry cummings was one of those guys from chicago who had a charity a game every year here in milwaukee and uh got to know him and through the bank and all that and next thing i know i'm involved in his in his charity game and i get to uh, meet michael jordan and spend a little time with him and, and some of the other top NBA guys at that time, but, you know, to, to meet, to meet arguably the goat, um, man, that's yeah. crazy. And I would have never, you know, if you had told me that when I had the spinal aneurysm, I would have been laughing at you. Like, you know, seriously, like, seriously, <laughs> I'm going to meet that, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to get dressed and how to uh, go to the bathroom the right way. And you're talking about, you got a great future and you're going to meet Michael Jordan. I probably would have right. laughed at yeah, I, well, I grew up in Maryland, so when he came to the Wizards, it was it was one of those things where people were just <laughs> we were shocked that he would actually come back and to play for who the Wizards? <laughs> like, are you serious? <laughs> so they were just like he'd be in the club, and certain people would get alerts. I mean, it, it's crazy. I I kind of missed the era, so I just got a little taste of the ending. But I get into the debate all the time: is it LeBron? Is it Jordan? But people really tell me like their their argument is always: you were never really around. <laughs> you don't really know <laughs> yeah. the kinds of things that like this dude was bigger like LeBron's big but this dude was on another level that's what the, like, all the like the OGs tell me it's like yo he was like a different type of dude this is before yeah. social media I'm like all right yeah 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 he was a different cat now I mean he was he was a different dude and and um I, and and LeBron is a different dude too I just think it's different eras but but Mike did yeah. um I mean he 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 was he was the first to really be that kind of a beast mm-hmm and my, well, my nephew's 10 now, and he's going to come with his guy. So everybody has their guy. Yes, everybody's got their guy. And that's okay. You know, if you like it, I love it. There you go. There you go. Now, you you were faced with a, a very difficult decision, right? You you had to make the decision to go, I believe, to, to, to Duke. Now, well, I'll, I'll give the story before you say you, you applied. I think you applied to Duke by saying you want to coach in a place where there's lakes. And it was so unique. It was so unique or something like that where yeah. they had to bring you in. So could you guys just speak on, you know, the, the crossroads you faced when it was time to kind of go to the next level? Yeah, I, um, you know, had always had a plan after five years of working at the bank um, to go and get my MBA. It's just one of the personal goals that I had. And, um, you know, to it was the first of many decisions that would require a sacrifice. But I think sacrifice is a measure of uh, what you're trying to attain. 
And so to uh, leave the corporate world, and I had options to uh, at Duke and North Carolina, Northwestern. Uh, I did not get in Stanford, which was my top choice. I also didn't get in there as an undergrad. And so I figured that door was closed. And it was just a great opportunity when I when Duke, Duke did uh, get my application. And they asked me a question about, please describe for us your favorite job. And I'm sure they got a lot of people who would talk about investment banking and, and being on Wall Street. And, and I said, you know, if I could coach basketball and go fishing all the time, that'd be, that'd be perfect for me. Um, and they were just like, who says that? <laughs> I was like, I do. <laughs> so, right. And so uh, they brought me down and, and I, it was a lesson about being authentic before we start talking about transparency and often authenticity. It was just the truth. And I didn't want to lie to them. And that was really what um, I think sent me over the top with them. And, and um, I loved the people in the atmosphere and, um, and wanted to make sure I was somewhere where I could enjoy a good basketball game. And uh, so Duke, Duke became that choice. Listen, teammates, whether it's college applications, job applications, applying to school, whatever it is, authenticity, that's what's going to win. That is what's going to win. I mean, and this was he was applying before social media, before employers and, and administrators can just go look up at your account. And like I've spent time as a scout coach. And, you know, the, the, the question now I get was, does he have a Twitter account? Does he have a YouTube page? Does he have all these things now? Are you being authentic? That should be what I mean. Now more than ever, are you being authentic? If you really want to get to the places where you're trying to go, it's the authenticity that's going to mean everything. Absolutely, and it will. You know that that authenticity will will open doors for you, and and the character will keep you keep you up there. Right, and well, that's actually how you got into meeting Coach K. I believe you know you were you know there every every week or so, and. It wasn't until one of his players recognized you from an AAU tournament in which you kind of got your opportunity to, to speak to him. So can you kind of explain how that went down? Yeah, I had um, figured, you know, I didn't have anything to lose. So I figured I wanted to go and see if I could somehow somehow help and be a part of the program. Didn't know what that meant, um, but I thought I had something to give and offer. So I went to try to meet coach a few times and, and um, um, I was told he was on vacation. And honestly, I the first time I didn't believe them um I thought I was getting blown off so I went back and he was still on vacation and eventually uh my third time there um I was leaving him another message um and I was told that he was not available which you know that was different than he's on vacation so I leave him a note and on my way out Tony Lang who was a player on the team um he stopped me and said hey aren't you the guy from Wisconsin and um you know I kind of hesitated a little bit because i wasn't sure, you know, what he was asking me. And, uh, I, and he said, yo, you, you were down in St. Petersburg, Florida, and you were coaching with an AAU team from Wisconsin. And, uh, man, I love how you worked with your guys. Are you going to be helping oh, us? And I was like, wow, am I going to be helping <laughs> you? I'm like, crazy. absolutely. I'm going to be helping you. Let me, let me answer that question <laughs> loud and clear. That's people crazy. And yeah, it's a crazy thing because, um, that still didn't seal the deal. But it made me feel like, you know what, I've got someone that I don't even know that had saw what I was doing and was just so uh, impressed with it that I'm like, man, that's a great testimony. So I ended mm -hmm. up eventually running into Tommy Amaker shortly after that. And Tommy's the head coach at Harvard now. And um, he was just leaving the business school to go full time with coach. And, and I stopped him as he was coming down the steps and said, hey, I'm, I'm Dave Cooks. I'm from Wisconsin. I've been trying to get a hold of coach. 
Um, just want to see if I can help out in any way. And, uh, and he was so gracious and was like, well, do you have any resume or anything I can give him? I happen to have one thing that I could give him. Um, didn't know what was going to happen with it. I didn't hear anything. And right before school's about to start, I went one last time, which was my fourth time. And on my way uh, down to Cameron, I saw Coach K walking in. And um, I, I do marvel that I don't know how fast I rolled down that hill. And I'm surprised I didn't fall out of my chair. Um, but I wanted to make sure I met him. We met at the door. And he said, he stopped me mid-sentence and said, hey, I know who you are. Uh, we've been trying to get a hold of you and come on in. So after that, we, we sat down and talked and um, there wasn't an opportunity. And this is a, a message for people. There wasn't an opportunity for me to, to be involved right away. Um, there was no position. Jay, Jay Billis was a grad assistant. And you talk about Amaker and Mike Bray and you know all these guys that are uh, head coaches now. But he said, I'd like for you to come to practice every day, see what we do, learn what we do. And I took that as an opportunity to be a part of the program uh, and mm -hmm. did that for a year, paid my way to... Uh, away games and that kind of stuff and then the next season I was offered a chance to be a manager I didn't say I was offered a chance to be a coach I was offered a chance to make Gatorade and do laundry and and chase down loose balls and uh and mm -hmm. I, jumped all, I jumped all over that um because mm -hmm. I filed I filed checks you know 10 years ago uh and that got me to commercial lending and and to be an officer of the bank so small beginnings didn't bother me I wasn't wasn't afraid of them um, but I also knew I'd be in a program where I would get a chance to, you know, glean from arguably the greatest coach of all time. And then the players at that time were Grant Hill and Thomas Hill and Christian Leitner and Bobby Hurley. I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, I'll yeah. do, I'll do anything just to be a part of this. And um, I mean, eventually I uh, was known as a part-time coach, part-time psychiatrist, part-time tutor, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I was doing, doing a lot of different things. So that's how the Duke thing came about. And, and um, it, it really um, was and continues to be an honor to be considered, to be considered a part of that family. Yeah. And, you know, it's the Bible does say never despise small beginnings, never, mm -hmm. ever despise small beginnings. And I, I have to actually, because I too have played for some legendary coaches, you know, coach Bob Malloy was my high school football coach and he ended with the most wins of any high school football coach in Maryland. And then I went on to play Carson Newman, which was coach Sparks and he retired at well, the late, the late coach Sparks. And then I finished off at Stony Brook at coach Priori, who I, I believe is going to graduate there. So there was a lot of consistency and they, they were like gods on the campus. You know, they, they were just so big. I, I got to ask you, though, what, what was it like working with someone that legendary and then realizing he's human? You know, he makes mistakes. Yeah. He actually sometimes he puts it. Wait a minute. You put your pants on the same way everyone else does. Like, you know, as players, we look up to these guys. But as coaches, there has to be a level of, all right, I, I can't be that all giddy about him. I, I have to learn. I, I have to learn that he's human and, uh, and the confidence has to grow. What was that like? Yeah, you know, it, it, for, for me, it um, I guess I wasn't starstruck uh, to be with Coach K. And part of it was, quite honestly, uh, before I started my own programs in the Northeast, I was working with some programs back in Wisconsin that were, you know, pretty uh, uh, successful. And so I had already begun to build a network with a lot of the major coaches uh, in the country. And so I didn't see, I didn't see them as different than me. Um, uh, in terms of just being a coach, their level obviously was higher than what they did. They had more responsibility. And so um, I didn't go into 
the Duke experience um, to admire Coach K, but I went in there to learn from him. And mm-hmm. it was the human side of him that made me see that he was just like another person. This is his job. And he had mm-hmm. strengths, he had weaknesses and um, and he cared about people and he had up days and down days. All the things that I think people may um, not think happens to people that are in the limelight. And you got to you got to remember, he was just beginning to become who he is now. Um, it was, you know, we had to come back to back championships, one of the back to back championships when I was there. Um, but I just found talking to him and being around him, um, he was just like a normal guy. I mean, he really yep. was. Uh, now, when the when the lights came on and it was time to practice, uh, he became a coach. Now, when the lights went off, he was he was he was Coach K, but he wasn't coaching you anymore. And that's what made a difference for me. And I I was just trying, man. Look, I uh, I it's interesting. I, I look back at that time and I wished I would have taken some more pictures and kept things and memorability and stuff. I didn't do any of that um, because I. I don't know why I didn't do that. I wish I did now, but I was just there um, taking it all in. And and sometimes when you're in the matrix, you know, you really don't see everything that's going on. You don't know the magnitude of it all. Again, I was just trying to be a good teammate and do the things that they asked me to do to help them win. And, and if that was making Gatorade, I figured I was making Gatorade to get an ACC championship. If I was doing laundry is because they needed some some clean clothes on to, to, to get to the NCAA tournament. And that was my focus was just to fulfill my role, to help the program fulfill its role. Yeah. I actually, I remember reading the gold standard. I believe he wrote that about the team USA and all that. And he was saying that about those like famous, famous athletes, the KDs, the LeBrons mm-hmm. and all the, the ones like they just they don't want to be famous. They just want to go out and do their job. You know, they just happen to be excelling to a, another level, but they don't want to. They're not like that every day. And it's the people that can really talk to them and be normalized and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's how they're able to, to stay at, at that level. And it, it's just an incredible confidence builder. I think when you haven't met those people face to face, when you realize, man, it, it's the same dudes, man. And, and that's what keeps them grounded. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think you're right. I think um, most people don't start off trying to be famous or trying to be in the limelight. They just want to be good at what they do. And um, fame is something that people put on you and they can take it off you really quick. And I think that's why people in those circles uh, appreciate people who aren't pulling on them all the time and trying to get something from them, but just trying to be a, a, a friend and trying to be a, you know, a teammate. Yeah, man. And, and, well, that's what, that's what coaching is all about. And that's, that's what sports is. All. That's what makes sports so great is, is it's something you're doing for free. Next thing you know, you're, you're famous doing You're famously doing it. And it, it's just this kind of this back and forth that's fame, normal, all that stuff. And you're in front of your family and things like that. And as, as I was reading your story, coach, I, I, I went back to, there was a coach, Towson football, his name was coach Rob Ambrose, who had graduated from Towson University and he went on to coach at UConn and some of these bigger schools. And then he took the Towson job. And it's funny because the way he described getting that call, he goes, mama came a calling. 
Mama came a calling. <laughs> so, you know, you know, Mama came a calling for you at some point at your alma, alma mater. Can you just speak on the process of what, you know, what happened and how you're able to come back and coach your alma mater? And yeah. I believe it was, uh, nah, don't tell me. Marcus, yeah, that was my, yeah. Yeah, actually, that was another thing. I didn't even realize it was, I was just thinking of the, the college. I didn't realize yeah. it was a high school. Yeah, there's a high school in, in um, here, you know, similar to, to Boston College and some of the Jesuit schools they have you know, high schools too. And I was, um, I was in the Northeast and I was working at the at Fairfield University at the time. And, and uh, that door began to close and I was trying to figure out what my next move was going to be. And um, I got a call from my alma mater and uh, we, we talked about some things and, and it worked out that I came back to Wisconsin. I came back home. And again, that was not on my radar. Um, uh, but but actually, no, because, yeah, your role with Fairfield wasn't just basketball, correct? There was more, right. yeah, I was, you were doing I was, more academics and things. Yes, so. I was I was in charge of their academic support for their student athletes. In fact, we we started the program from scratch. When I got there, there was nothing. And really mm-hmm. loved, loved building that and, and, and getting that up and running with facilities and everything like that. And um, it just, uh, I was coaching at a high school and also had an AU program. So I was pretty busy and, and would help out with, with uh, uh, the men's program as much as I could at Fairfield U. And, um, but you know, all that, it, it came to a point where some decisions, need, decisions needed to be made about um, my personal development and growth and what would be next. And um, it wasn't gonna be at Fairfield. And once I kind of accepted that, you know, I had a chance to go out and be a part of Pacific University out in Stockton, California uh, with uh, when coach Bob Thomason was there and um, I had an offer to go out, but it just, it and, just, and you're, you're fully in the coaching world at this point, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm coaching high school, AU doing all that. And so mm-hmm. here's my first division one offer uh, as an assistant um, full-time. And I just, I, 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 I loved everybody, but it just didn't seem like it was the right fit for me. And so I didn't do it and I didn't know what was next. And like you say, mama came calling the alma mater called <laughs> and, uh, I came back to Wisconsin and um, I really wasn't looking to coach. I wanted to take some time away from the game. I had really immersed myself, you know, over those past eight, nine, 10 years total and wanted to just have some anonymity and not have to worry about um, answering questions about is my son good enough or why didn't he play, you know, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Because the game I'm, I'm, it's probably transitioning now. And and now parents are probably a little more motivated at the fact that they might get a scholarship and yes. you're probably having to deal with that because you are a quote unquote college coach. That's going to get my son a scholarship, you know? Absolutely. That, 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 Absolutely. Those questions probably came up a lot. Yeah. I, what I, I know it sounds crazy. I tried to keep the fact that I had been at Duke um, under wraps yep. and um you know, because but, I mean, it's tough to say you ain't Duke. All right. I could just look at it. You ain't it's yes. tough to tell a mother that I've seen yes. the Grant Hills. That ain't no Grant Hills. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so I didn't, I didn't want people to know I was just trying to. And so, you know, but they pulled me right back in talking about, Hey, can you, can you, would you be interested in coaching JV? And I said, sure, I'll do that. You know, and uh, you know, lo and behold, you know, a couple of years in the varsity coach uh, is let go and, and uh, I'm the top candidate for the job. And um, I took it without reservation, knowing that I'd be uh, the first black head coach in the school's history and the first head coach in a wheelchair in the school's history, um, knowing those challenges that would come with that. But um, 
apart from that, it was basketball to me. It wasn't, it wasn't that I was the first, it was, it was another chance for me to coach. And, um, you know, it was, it was a good run. I had a great run. I did 14 years there um, and took our team to the state uh, tournament for the first time. We lost uh, in the state semifinal the first time since the private and public schools combined. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, because prior to that, we had had a lot of success in the private school um, state tournament. But I got us there and we lost on a, a bank shot on the top of the, from the top of the key that would have put us in the finals and um, never made it back um, to that, to that game, but still had some success, but um, it didn't end well. I mean, I got fired, um, you know, and I guess you're not a good coach until you get fired. <laughs> I guess I right. know. That's exactly uh, the way it is. So, uh, but that was, it was great. I mean, to, to come back to a place where I always wanted to play, but did not get the chance to because of the aneurysm Mm -hmm. with the coach, but to come back and coach at that place. Oh man, that was, that was therapeutic. It was, uh, boosted the self-esteem, you know, all the things that come with that and, and to have some success and to have uh, the relationships with the players and with the students there. Um, it was clearly, it was clearly one of the most important, um, basketball episodes of my life. And I, you know, and I've had some good ones. Well, yeah, that's actually what I was going to ask you is that in your 14 years, what would you say were the, the biggest accomplishments, like the things that you're most proud of? You know, I, I'm most proud of, um, the fact that first of all, um, we did everything with character and integrity and there were no skeletons left in any closet. So I, I want to start with that. We did things the right way. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't cheat, didn't cheat, won't cheat, uh, to get players, mm-hmm. you know, whoever wanted to come and, uh, whoever the school let in is who I would coach. Um, so that's the first thing I was most proud of, um, mm-hmm. is that is, is my character and, and integrity remained in place, uh, even though we were very successful and there were some great players. We had great players, um, who wanted to come to the high school and, and my response to them and their parents was, well, we have an interest exam that you need to take. And if you get in, uh, then you need to make sure you're a good student. And I'm not going to promise you anything. I'm not going to promise you anything other than mm-hmm. your son Your son will get a great education if he comes here and applies himself. And I said, his athletic ability will speak for itself. And um, that wasn't well received by many. And that's OK. Right. Um, but the ones who received it, they came. So um, on the court, like I said, um, just reestablishing us as, as uh, someone to be reckoned with um, was the greatest part of it. I mean, we had some really good teams that, and the conference was so tough. I mean, we had a bunch of two or three lost seasons and we were out of the first round or the second round of the state tournament playoffs because it was so good, but to get to the States uh, with a team that um, was, was pretty good. We had a couple guys going to play, one, John Capriva played at George Washington. Um, Quentin Calloway was, was my guard. He went to Northern Michigan. Um, and we had a couple other guys, and I forget now where they, where they landed. Um, they, they, didn't even, they didn't even play. They just went on to, to college. But to, to get to uh, Madison and to play on the, in the Cole Center, um, and we were, we were a 13 seed uh, in our, in our um, uh, district. And to get there 
with seven losses and our, our schedule was brutal that year. Um, that was really rewarding to see that. It was a great experience. You know, I'm glad you say that because I actually remember watching Nick Saban give a speech and this was the first, I think it was for his foundation, Nick's kids or something like that. And he, I don't know, it was, it was a coaching clinic for high school coaches. Mm-hmm. And he, the first thing he said, the first thing he said, he goes, listen, guys, the, the person, the one person that had the greatest influence on me, the number one person was my high school coach, was mm-hmm. my high school coach. And too often do we, especially as us as African-American coaches, coaches, do we get tasked with this? Oh, well, he knows the guy he played here. So he's going to do a favor for my son. And no, he's going to get this one recruited because he knows this one and that one. And I'm I'm glad that you kind of stayed on course. Like you stayed with integrity. You said, look, there's an exam. If he doesn't pass the exam, he's not coming. We're not pulling any strings. We're not doing any favors. (laughs) We're not doing any of that because you know, that's not going to help you in life. You're very unlikely to make it to the NBA, very unlikely to even play in college. So right. if I start giving you breaks now because you may be okay as a 12-year-old, are you kidding me? Right. Do you know how much competition you have? You might be okay dominating your county and you think that you deserve some sort of, like, strings. And too too many coaches do it the opposite way. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I knew I was doing it okay because I had – the black parents were upset with me because I wouldn't give their kids special treatment. And the white parents were upset with me because I treated them like I did the black kids. So I was like, I was good. Mm-hmm. I'm right <laughs> down. The middle, so, so I must be okay. And you, you learn that um, um, everybody needs uh, a hand um, to get to where they need to go, but that's different than a favor. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I wasn't going to give anybody any, anything they did not earn or deserve. And, Working hard for me as a coach was the beginning of our conversation. I did not reward that. That was an expectation. Um, and if you work hard, that doesn't mean you get an opportunity. That should mean, though, that you're pretty tired at the end of that work. And then from there, we'll see what we can do. And, and the kids respect it, man. The kids respect it. I mean, we, I, I remember specifically my situation. There was Coach Malloy, who was kind of known as the GOAT around Maryland, but then he had Coach McFadden, who was, you know, built all these relationships with college coaches, and he's out there telling everyone they're going to go D1, they go do this, they go do that. But, you know, Coach Malloy retires, and Coach McFadden never got the head job. You know, he was mm. – he stayed as a defensive line coach. He's To this day, he's still the defensive line coach. And now I feel like too often do parents use him to, mm. all right, I'm going to send him there because, you know, I might get a scholarship. And that's a – that was a lesson I picked up just from that transition to say, when it became time for me to coach high school, don't fall in that trap. Do not fall in that trap of doing favors for the parents because they will use you and you will never hear from them again. They'll go off with their scholarship and you'll never hear from them again. But the, the coach Malloy's of the world who kept it 100 with me, he told me straight up, I was one, you are probably a division five talent. <laughs> your work <laughs> ethic, your work <laughs> ethic is incredible. So you're going to, you know, you're going to get people talking to you, but in terms of your athletic ability, you're probably division five. And mm-hmm. I appreciate it. It hurt at the, at the moment, but as I got older and I realized, you know what, that, that honesty is what we need. That's what we need from our employers. That's what we need as adults. That would be, that's what I need to tell my nephew when he gets that age, that honest, just, Hey, listen, I've seen some athletes. You D five. Yeah. No, you, you <laughs> and know, just, for, for anyone that's listening, that isn't a sport. D three is the lowest. So when it, when someone's D five <laughs> athletically, that's, that's that. That's, that's, pretty low. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> you know, you know, I will say, I will say this. Um, and I think um, people don't understand that 
coaches are humans and uh, I didn't get everything right. And I didn't make every decision right. You know, um, there are some kids I, man, I'd look back and I was like, man, you know what? I didn't, I didn't give him the opportunity that he probably deserved at the time. Um, we're just, and so, you know, I think to, um, just put that out there that we're not perfect. You know, Mm -hmm. I think the thing that I disliked the most about coaching high school was having to make cuts. Um, I, 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 I did. Oh yeah. Cause basketball, yeah. Basketball. Oh yeah. Basketball. We had cuts. I had to tell, tell young men whose dream it was to play the game, um, Mm -hmm. that, that they weren't going to be able to play here. Uh, and it, and it, and to do that, um, wasn't easy and I had experienced it physically I literally could not do it and now mm-hmm. to, here I am coming back telling someone um you know you're not you can't be a part of this team and try to explain it to them in a way that would still keep their esteem high and let them know that this is about fit as much as it is about skill and that perhaps you should try another avenue to to fulfill some of your athletic uh, ambitions um, that's not easy man that's that's not That's easy. Tough. At that age, at that age, it's tough because at that point, you really do have that. Uh, I'm gonna play in the NBA. You, I mean, you got kids what maybe three years older than NBA players at 18, and you're 12. That's only five years, and there's people legitimately thinking they're going to the NBA mm-hmm. and they can't even make their high school team. Yeah, yeah. So that's tough. That's tough. So you were so at the end of your 14th season, you were you were having a meeting and you were expected to get ready. And, you know, there was a bomb that was kind of dropped on you. <laughs> the way the way it reads was just like, you know, hey, it's a normal day and, you know, we're going to get ready for next season. And then, boom, <laughs> you kind of walk us through what happened there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we had um, uh, we had just come off and we had had a couple tough years after the uh, state tournament run, because that class was really special. And, um, but we had, we had a pretty good sophomore group coming up and I opted to keep them together and work with the guys that we had. And so we had a couple, couple lean years. And, um, but I was, I was excited about the future because I knew what we had coming. And I was meeting with my athletic director in my office. I had actually called him in so we could do our end of year review. And we were just going through things about jerseys and next year's, uh, a schedule and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, as we kind of finished through all that, um, you know, he said, you know, to have another conversation about something very difficult. And um, I said, okay, you know, whatever. And he said, uh, well, we're going to be going in another direction. And, you know, it caught me so off guard. I was like, well, do you want to get New Jersey's? Are we uh, going <laughs> to a different, a different conference? What do you mean? Uh, <laughs> so uh, then, then I, it got really quiet. It was like crickets. And I was like, wait a minute. Are you firing me? Are you, are you really firing me right now? And oh, he put man. his head, he put his head down and um, you know, I'll never know if he was the messenger or if he, or if he was the true axle, yeah. um, but I was released and there was never a warning. There was never any um, you need to improve on this or any, anything like that. And uh, they just want to go another direction. Um, I was, I was stunned. Um, I, in the moment, and honestly, I wanted to punch him right in his throat, um, but mm-hmm. I could not do that because I needed to, again, character and exposure, all those things come to play in your most adverse times. And that was one of the most adverse times I had had there. And, um, you know, it took some time for me to kind of regroup. You know, I talk about three things about reflecting, regrouping and relaunching myself. 
uh, because I wanted to just take a time to to um, look at the moment, but also look at look at the journey and what was accomplished over that year as a JV University head coach. And um, and I had to build myself back up, knowing I had some gas left in the tank, and that uh, that the chapter really wasn't closed on coaching, but perhaps the chapter was closed on coaching at Marquette High School. Never thought it would happen. I thought for sure. I was gonna retire at Marquette High School. They were gonna to have to probably carry me out because I was gonna just stay there until I died. Um, mm-hmm. But that wasn't the plan. And so I had to, to, to rethink some things quickly and then get to the next, get to the next uh, stage in my life. Yeah, that, that's tough, man. I, I'm in South Florida now and people still speak of Randy Shannon in that same way. So he comes, cleans up the area, and graduates kids, and then all of a sudden, boom axed and and that is the kind of the tough part about our businesses even to this day he's not sure if it was the ad's decision or it might have been a booster might have been a sponsor maybe even have been someone who once college once a coach that's more about getting kids in whatever it is right we don't even know and right. and that's the the blessing and kind of the burden of, of being in sports and, and really dedicating your life to this. And, and that's why I'm, I'm really happy that you put it all on paper, that the book is out and things like that. So can you kind of just speak on how that project came about and how you're able to kind of get it access for people like me who's in South Florida to read it and then get something from it? Yeah. So, you know, after all of that, and um, I, I will say that, you know, I, can, I ended up coaching at uh, Concordia University, which is a division three school. Uh, for a couple of years after that and and uh, really enjoyed that and but it did come to a point where I was like you know what I think it's time to figure out what the next um, uh, chapter in my life is and um, I knew that I wanted I knew that I was going to do some public speaking and that kind of stuff because I had kind of you know dibbled and dabbled in that a little bit even while I was was teaching and I wanted to put two feet in that and go go really hard um, but I also knew I thought I was supposed to write a book I didn't know how I was going to do that. I had never written a book. I wasn't one for reading other books or writing. Um, but I, I ended up um, about to get a pretty good speaking uh, contract with a uh, speakers bureau. And on my way to Boston on a flight, uh, I became sick part of the way through the flight and was having uh, some significant breathing issues. And um, when we landed, I went to the ER and I thought I just had a virus or something, and and turned out I had massive submassive blood clots in my lungs. And it was during that stay in the hospital I didn't get to do any speaking that weekend. I lost that contract. Never heard back okay. from those people. Um, I was in IC, ICU. Um, it turns out there were some former students who working in that hospital uh, who heard I was there, and um, they began to talk to the nurses and the doctors up there and they begin to tell my story to them mm. and uh, the doctors begin to come in. Here we go again with other people speaking up on my behalf. And wow. the, the doctors came in and they were like, um, where's your book? And I, and I, I'm like, what do you mean? Where's my book? You know, <laughs> trying, what, what? <laughs> and so, you know, wow. my wife, I was able to get my wife out and they were talking to her eventually. And they kept asking about this book. And I said, you know what? I think it's time for me to sit down and write a book and tell the and tell my entire story. Um, and and so I went home after I got out of the hospital after the procedures and and um, I canceled everything that I could going forward. 
and spent the next uh, eight to nine months really focused on writing the book and trying to identify some of the key moments in my life that helped move me forward. Some of the ups, some of the downs. I mean, it's a very transparent book and I wanted to do it so that somebody's life could be impacted in a positive way and that it would encourage and inspire people to move beyond their place of paralysis to a place of purpose. And um, that's what I, I hope the book does that. Uh, for those that are interested, it's on Audible now. I finally did the, I finally finished reading the book uh, for Audible this past year in 2021 um, because I got really sick in 2019 with sepsis toward the end of the, the year after a great year of speaking. And so that put me on the shelf for a while. But the book is on Audible. Um, it's also on my website, davidcookspeaks.com. Uh, I autograph those. And then uh, also uh, you can get it at Amazon. And uh, it's done, it's, it's, it's still impacting people literally around the world. And I'm excited about it. And, uh, but I do think it's time for me to write another one. <laughs> oh, I know boy. that's right. I know that's right. Because you actually, you do say this, you say, you know, paralysis comes in many different forms. And it doesn't have to be a physical thing. A lot of times people are paralyzed with their mindset. And, yes. and that's what you touch on. So can you can you just talk about a little bit? I, I want to be very respectful of your time. Can you just kind of discuss a little bit about what's next, what's coming down the pipeline? What can people expect coming sure. down in the future? You kind of touched on it a little bit. Oh, yeah. No, that's, that's okay. And um, uh, right now I have, uh, in June of 2021, I, I uh, released my or launched my podcast which is called Paralysis to Purpose. Um, and we really are looking uh, to uh, have guests who, whose stories are inspiring. And like you mentioned, paralysis can be mental, physical, it could be relationships, could be anything. Anything that keeps you from being at your best is how I define paralysis. And uh, so with that, I'm excited about where that's going. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, once we open back up here a little bit more, I want to get back on the road and, uh, you know, do more speaking. I'm still doing virtual speeches and, and that type of stuff, which is great, um, but it's still not the same as in person. Um, and then I need to uh, get this next book out. I don't know exactly what it will be, but I think it's going to deal with the importance of perspective, perseverance, and partnerships and moving people forward from paralysis to purpose. And I think that's what the next book will deal with. And what is the best way for people to reach out if they want to book you or things like that? Uh, you can hit me on my website, uh, davidcookspeaks.com. Um, and that's probably the easiest way to do it. You can follow me up. I'm on all social media, Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and most of that is at, at DCE Speaks. Um, and so if you do it that way, that's fine. And then you can always email me at davidcooksenterprises at gmail.com. So um, I'd be love to come and uh, share with your organization. Uh, you know, I, I do, I do uh, management consulting as well and, and team building and that kind of stuff. So I'm just excited to, to, you know, be able to make a difference in people's lives, you know, and you know it as a coach, there is no feeling that is greater than that. You know, you, you can win games and all that kind of stuff, but when those, when your former players and people that you worked with that have been on a team with you come back years later and tell you that there was a particular moment where you said something that changed the, changed their life forever, man, that's worth, 
you know, that's worth a gazillion dollars. Yeah, it's funny because the, the reason I decided at the high school that I coached, I coached at this high school for two years. And the reason I decided to volunteer there is because I met one of the players' older sisters. And, you know, I never got the girl, but me and the younger brother, it was, I believe it was like a homecoming night or whatever. I was like, you know, I love you. He was a great kid. I love the kid. I was like, mm-hmm. I love you, man. And he goes, love you too, coach. I was like, oh, a 26-year-old kid. I was 26 when I took that job. So I was like, yo, hearing that, bro, it made it all worth it. Made it oh, all yeah. worth it, man. Yeah, hearing you say that. Matter of fact, shout out to Sheldon, man. I know you're doing some big things. I got to get you on the show, man. He's actually doing some poetry and like like public wow. speaker. I got to. I got to get in touch with him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, glad I, I can you. tell that story to him now because I couldn't yeah. tell him when he was playing. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And, and you know, I think, uh, um, you know, life is all about relationships. And we were talking about that yeah. before we got on, on today and, um, and building those relationships and sharing your network with other people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's enough, there's enough blue sky for all the birds. And, and you know what I mean by that, we can all be successful. And, and when you are able to celebrate someone else's success and to help them to even further succeed, uh, then I think you're starting to really understand what purpose is all about. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so with, with the way I close out all my shows is I, I allow you to kind of talk a little bit to your older self or when you're in your lowest moment so coach I, w- I want you to I imagine that you just found out that you had your aneurysm and you realize that life is going to be different and you know you were kind of down a little bit just kind of speak to that person now and then we'll close you up I'll give you the last word yeah I, I, w- I would say to myself at age 15 that your ability to endure is always greater than your willingness to endure and then I, I probably would have asked well, what do you mean by that Well, what I mean is that we don't necessarily get to pick and choose our testimony in life, uh, but we do get to choose how we respond to it. And you will be amazed when you look down the road 40 years from now, 40 plus years from now, that what you didn't think was possible, the human will and instinct kicked in and you went past your ability, um, um, your, your ability rather took you past what you were willing to do and that's why you're where you are today because your ability to endure is always greater than your willingness to to endure and that's what i would tell myself if this was in 1979 magnificent magnificent all right fellow teammates continue to move swiftly we will talk more soon See you.
That's it. 